wrestle with who Isaiah was speaking to, understanding also that Jesus was the one who would be the servant who would come to help us. We want to capture this connection between suffering and salvation. Our country is yearning for salvation from corona right now. We are suffering from fear. Over a thousand Aussies have been diagnosed with corona. Others are suffering with loss of employment, businesses destroyed. How am I going to pay my mortgage? There's talk about government handouts and printing money and paying people's 80% of their salary. What's going to be left of our economy? I'm an economist. To be honest, the economics scares me more than the, the virus. But isn't it great there's cheaper petrol? The picture I want to offer you is that our world right now is like a little child yearning for a comforting embrace from a parent. Can you feel that? The entire world is like a little kid, not sure, don't know how it's going to happen, don't really know what is happening, but know something is wrong, just dying for a comforting embrace from a parent. Last week, we looked at this comfort from Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. We looked at this comfort from three different actions, that God was present and tender with his people, that God spoke truth, truth about sin and truth about him, and that God sent help, real help, defining help, not just help that we say, yes, I'll give you a hand, mate, but real blood and bones, flesh help. But this week, I'll be honest, rather than comfort, I've struggled with the pointing finger. I've struggled to listen to people commentate and, and say, school should be shut, no school should be open. I just had an email 20 minutes ago saying, why is your church open? It should be shut. And others are saying, why should churches be shut? Now's the time they should be open. And, and all over the media, everyone has an opinion. In fact, in my own heart, I've wrestled with this. I, I, I entered into this coronavirus uh, situation with a, with a sense of bravado. Like, who cares? Let's just get it over with. And I found myself falling into this trap of judging as some people are, are really, really scared. And the Lord really convicted my heart. You know, it's so easy to judge. It's so easy to criticise. That is the easiest default. And you watch what happens. If you haven't seen it already, how much criticism, how much judgment gets thrown around the place over the next few weeks. They should have done this. They should have done that. I just wonder, to some degree, it almost feels like I'm an extra in a movie that's being played and I don't have a part. I'm not the leading character. I'm not the good-looking girl. I'm just an extra. My name's not even in the credits. I'm just kind of on the side. Anything I say doesn't really matter anyway. Does it feel a bit that way? How does it feel? What are you feeling? Honestly, 
As Christians, we tend to say, yeah, no worries. But I reckon most of us are a bit nervous. Paul deals with this judgment, this particular issue in Romans 14. In verse 7, he says, For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honour the Lord. And if we die, it's to honour the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be Lord of both the living and the dead. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? This verse and this passage really spoke to my heart. Why do I look down on others? Why do I think I know better? What sort of expert am I? What's interesting about Romans 14 is Paul quotes from Isaiah 45, 23. As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will confess or declare allegiance to God. You know what? My judging and my criticism doesn't matter at all because every single person is going to bow the knee on that day. When Jesus returns, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, regardless of whether they believed or they didn't. Everyone's going to know the truth. You can't hide in the light. Everyone's going to know the truth. So why waste my time judging and looking down on people? There was a sense of victory that Paul was sharing here. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. There was a a victory, a sense of victory in this. There's a comfort that comes from knowing the victory is coming. There's a comfort that comes to us when even we hear the idea that we're going to get through this, we're going to overcome this. This will pass. These people in exile, when they heard these words from Isaiah being spoken, it was like a comfort. It's perhaps hard for us to understand this eschatological expectation, this this hope that is spoken by God to us is comforting. A commentator said that most people feel nervous first thing in the morning. What do you do when you wake up? Read the paper, check your Facebook, check your email, get a coffee, maybe get another coffee, and before you know it, your anxiety is right up there. How many more have died? How many more have caught it? What hasn't the government done right? People are most nervous in the morning. What does Isaiah say about this? How did the exiles living out of what they felt was their eternal punishment, living away from God, living in a place where there was no hope, a word came to them from Isaiah 50 in verse 4. It says, morning by morning... He wakes me and opens my mind to understanding. Can I tell you, we need to grasp that verse. If there's any time where you need to become a morning person, this is it. If there's any time when the first thing you do is morning by morning, you allow the grace and peace of God to wash over your life, it's this time. 
Because the only way you're going to be able to embrace the day and the turmoil to come is knowing that morning by morning to allow God to awaken your heart, to allow God to awaken your mind, to allow his word to wash over you. Only then, I believe, can we embrace what's ahead for the day. This was a word of hope to a people who are in exile. This is a word of hope to us today. And and can I say that, that in a sense, this contains a victory. That yes, it's it's hard and there's a daily grind ahead and I'm not even sure if I can go out today, but, but morning by morning, morning by morning, my God awakens me. And if my God awakens me, then there's hope. And if my God awakens me and there's hope, then it's, then it's because he's opening my understanding to him and his care and his promises and what he says about me and for my family and for my loved ones. We have to start with a prayer every day. Will somebody say amen? You know, it's hard for us to enter into this... Uh, feeling. It's hard for us to enter into really the trouble that's happening, but there's been lots of troubled times throughout history. There's been lots of trouble. So the first thing I want to talk about in terms of comfort today is the word victory. And the second thing I want to talk about from Isaiah in terms of comfort is determination. You know, at the beginning of World War II, everything seemed very dark. And this old guy gets up And he makes a speech and he utters the word victory. Now, to all people's understanding, the word victory that Churchill uttered at a speech in World War II seemed ridiculous. It seemed insane. To utter the word victory at that point in time when Churchill formed his government seemed like it was foolish. Yet... I want to argue this morning that just saying that word victory sparked something in the hearts of the people. Here we go. Mr. Speaker, on the Friday evening last, I received His Majesty's commission to form a new administration. It was the evident wish and will of Parliament and the nation that this should be conceived on the broadest possible basis and that it should include all parties. A war cabinet has been convened. Um, uh, No, uh, uh, correction, has been formed. A war cabinet has been formed of five members representing, with the opposition parties, the unity of the nation. Read. The three party leaders have agreed to serve either in the war cabinet or in high executive executive office. With this agreement in place, I now invite the House by the resolution which stands in my name to recall its approval and to declare its confidence in the new government. <laughs> and yes, 
I'm coming out in a state of nature. It must be remembered that we are in the preliminary stage of one of the greatest battles in history. And that many preparations have to be made here at home. Sir, I take up my task with uh, buoyancy and hope and say to the House, as I have said to those who have joined the government, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears and sweat. We have before us an old deal of the most grievous kind. We have before us many, many long months of struggle and of suffering. You ask, what is our policy? I say it is to wage war by sea, land and air with all our might and with all the strength that God can give us to wage war against a monstrous tyranny never surpassed in the dark and lamentable catalogue of human crime. That is our policy. You ask, uh, what is our aim? I can answer in one word. Victory. Victory at all costs. Victory. In spite of all terror, victory, however long and, and hard the road may be. For without victory, there can be no survival. Why do those words resonate so much with us right now? Why does that speech affect us in such a way? I'm not comparing our situation to World War II. I'm not doing that. But the sentiment is really important. We are a victorious people because of Jesus. So victory is the only thing that we can live into and live with. It's not enough to survive as a Christian. It's not enough to survive and just get by. But in our hearts... This word victory must rise up again and again and again and again. Isaiah has this throughout the pages of what he said to these people in exile. Victory over fear of today. Victory over the hopelessness of those who are exiled. And victory of salvation over eternal death. All I can say is that I live for Christ and I die for Christ. That is victory. That is victory. Because of victory, I don't have a spirit of fear. Because of victory, I have a spirit of love and power and self-discipline. Isaiah 42.12 says, Let the whole world glorify the Lord. Let it sing his praise. The Lord will march forth like a mighty hero. He will come out like a warrior, full of fury. He will shout his battle cry and crush all his enemies. Victory, victory, victory. Isaiah 43.2 says, When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. 
When you go through the fire of oppression, you will not be burnt up. The flames will not consume you. It's not just survival. Brothers and sisters, it's not just survival. It is victory. It is victory. I'm not saying we we go down to Bondi Beach and we lay next to each other and get a tan. That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that in our hearts, we are victorious. We have a confidence. We have a peace that surpasses understanding because we've grasped this word of victory and it's affected us. It's done a work in us. It's, it's changed us. It, if you want to go down the superhero mode, which Isaiah did about God, it's like having a force field. It's like having a, an armour plating. It's, it, it, it's like having a, a constant player in your mind saying, Jesus is my victory. Jesus is overcome. I believe in him. I belong to him. If I live, I live for Christ. If I die, I die for Christ. Whether I live or whether I die, it doesn't matter. I do it for Jesus. How are you living right now? Are you living for Christ right now? Are you living for him in your heart? Is the peace that surpasses understanding oozing out of you because of the victory that Christ has won? See, the cloud of witnesses is watching and witnessing what we do right now. What are we doing right now? What are we doing right now? It's not about survival, it's about victory. The second thing is determination. This is my little boy, Josh. Um, We had a, a swing set and the three of them used to go on the swing together and I would place Josh in the middle, what we used to call the Tweety Bird seat. And, and Josh was determined for me not to place him on there. He wanted to lift himself up. He wanted to do it. And so what I would do is I'd kind of help him sort of grab hold. And you can see his face. He's literally defeating gravity as we speak, against all the odds. Let's just agree with the DNA in his body. He is working overtime. Uh, Josiah is not going to have that trouble. Josiah is going to pull himself up with one arm. My boy, he needs three arms. But I want you to see the face after determination has paid off. Look at that face. Is that gold? I love that photo. Look at that face. It's like, it's like yes. Determination. Yes. Hard work. Yes. Not sure if I'm going to get there. Yes. But I made it. Yeah. Isaiah 45.22 says, All the world will look to me for salvation. For I am God, there is no other. I have sworn by my own name. I have spoken the truth. I will never go back on my word. Every knee will bend to me and every tongue will confess. If that's not determination, I don't know what is. That is fully determined. That is determination of such magnitude, it is victory. It is victory. God is determined to impress upon us his determination for us. In Isaiah 48 verse 8, he says, Yes, I will tell you things that are entirely new. Entirely new. Things you've never heard before. For I 
know so well what traitors you are, what rebels you have been from birth. Yet for my own sake and for the honour of my name, I will hold back my anger and not wipe you out. I have refined you, but not as silver is refined. I have refined you in the furnace of suffering. I will rescue you for my sake. Yes, for my own sake. I will not allow my reputation to be tarnished. I will not share my glory with idols. The determination of God for his own sake becomes our benefit. The determination of God for his own sake and his own glory becomes our salvation. This truth that is contained in God's determination, this this assurance that comes from knowing that God is so determined that it causes us in Isaiah 49, 13 to 15, sing for joy, O heavens, rejoice, O earth, burst into song. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on them in their suffering. Yet Jerusalem says, the Lord has deserted us. The Lord has forgotten us. Can you hear this maybe as a dialogue for us? Let me start again. The first verse contains truth. The second verse contains our fear. The third verse contains the comfort of the Lord. You ready? Here's the first verse, the truth. Sing for joy, O heavens, rejoice, O earth, burst into songs, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on them and their suffering. Here comes the fear. Jerusalem says, the Lord has deserted us. The Lord has forgotten us. You know, there are some folk who believe that God is judging all of the bad things on earth right now through this virus. There are some people who think God has turned his back And this virus has been allowed to run. There are some people who believe that this virus is running rampage to knock off the population so we can have a more sustainable population. There are some people who think it's the Chinese and the Americans and and, and I'm sure they're going to blame the Israelis at some stage. God's deserted us. Yet listen to the comfort that comes in verse 15. Never can a mother forget her nursing child. Laura, would you stand up, please? Everybody, this is Laura Duke. This time last week, she was exhausted. (laughs) My question is, while you look at Laura from 1.5 metres, I want you, as I read this verse, to think of Laura and Josiah. Can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for the child she has born? Even if it were possible... I would not forget you. I mean, honestly, Jeremy is nothing compared to Laura and that baby. Laura would be like a female tigeress. And if you just looked at Josiah the wrong way, she would sing you to death and then she would annihilate you. Jeremy would just try and inject you from a distance. What the Word of God is saying. Thank you, Laura. Let's give Laura a round of applause. She was really tired last week, but right now she looks amazing. Jeremy, you look completely relaxed. Good to see you, bud. What the Word is saying is that 
is that, listen, of course a mother loves a baby. Of course a mum wouldn't abandon a baby. But even if a mother did, I wouldn't. You see, we know the truth, but we still have fear. And so what God comes in and he comes in and he comforts us and he says, you know what, I know you have this fear. I know you're worried. But just, just know the truth that, that, that you're like my child and I will never ever abandon you. Never, never, never abandon. I'm just going to have a moment of prayer. I'm just going to ask for two people to pray. I would love one person to pray that we would know the comfort of God at this time. And I would like another person to pray that the world in fear might also know the comfort of God. For some, that might mean returning. For others, it might mean the first time they taste of the comfort of our loving Heavenly Father. So let's bow our heads. and If two people would pray, that would be great.
As we close, I wonder if you would pray this prayer with me. It comes from Isaiah 50. Sovereign Lord, give me your words of wisdom so that I know how to comfort the weary. Morning by morning, awaken me and open my understanding to your will. If I live, I live for Christ. If I die, I die for Christ. If I live or I die, it's for Christ. May you know God's peace. May you know God's grace. And may you be comforted by the one who came and gave his life so that we forevermore will live eternally with our Heavenly Father. God bless you. Um, Thank you for being here this morning. Go encouraged. Amen? Amen.